0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, and everything in between, I guess. Welcome back to Searching for Political Identity. Barbara Ann Mojica, it's a pleasure to have you. How are you?
1: I'm doing very well today. Thanks for inviting me.
0: My pleasure. Um, So you're an author, an educator, a historian. Is that right?
1: That is true, all of the above. I Mm -hmm. started out (laughs) uh, uh, parent, grandparent, lots of different roles. (laughs) But I started out as uh, a lover of history. Uh, I always loved school. Uh, I was interested in finding out about people from different places, exploring, traveling. And uh, I did pursue that. as a career i I went to college and graduate school for history but i wasn't that interested in the ivory tower kind of aspect of history and i was really more of a people person i was discovering as i grew older and older so i decided to go into education and history for a while was kind of on the back burner because i was teaching children uh, mostly in grades uh well, K to seven and then uh as as i uh, got into the education i switched gears and i realized that kids weren't all being reached uh, the mm-hmm. education system was failing a lot of them so i went into special ed i went back to school again and i Uh, took certification in special ed, and I started working with children with very severe needs. And Hmm. that involved a multitude of approaches to learning. So I I got involved with multidisciplinary teams, you know, speech therapists, occupational therapists, physical therapists, Hmm. psychologists. So, you know, the whole spectrum of educating and uh, that was my career for 40 years until I uh, decided to retire. And uh, when I did retire, I wanted to kind of combine all of my experiences in life and, and see if I could make them into some kind of useful tool for people. So I started writing uh, history books for children, combining my love of history with education and the fact that History is being so sorely ignored in our education system today. I wanted to make an impact there. So I'm trying to help children become critical thinking, uh, critical thinkers who are going to become hopefully the leaders of tomorrow and uh, change some of some of the things I think need changing both in education and and in the and in the larger world perspective. So uh, that's mm-hmm. what I'm doing now. And I, I use all of the things that I've learned to try to provide tools and strategies for parents and teachers uh, and anyone who really uh, is dealing uh, with children in, you know, in today's mm-hmm culture and and our society
0: yeah a million questions come to mind i guess i'll start with what do you think has been the biggest flaw in the approach to teaching history to children and like what would you propose to do about it
1: well i think the biggest flaw is the fallacy that one size fits all there is no one size fits all in terms of education and there's certainly no one size fits all in terms of human beings as a whole. Uh, you know, throughout my career, I became more and more aware that our kind of cookie cutter approach to education uh, just wasn't working. And I think it's gotten worse and worse uh, here in the States, this common core idea that everyone is going to be taught certain information which is going to allow all children to come up to this kind of arbitrary standard of Hmm. i don't know if you'd want to call it excellence or perfection but as over time our educational system has fallen further and further behind uh, just 20 years ago, we were at the top of the world in, mm. in, in terms of our educational systems. And now we're, I th- last time I looked, I think we're below 20 uh, in the top nations of the world. And so many of our children are just falling further and further behind. I, I don't believe in this kind of common core, one-size-fits-all approach, but worse than that, The fact that uh, we are more and more being uh, driven toward this idea that public education is the be all and the end all and uh, the only way to educate children. And I think COVID has uh, opened uh, a lot of people's eyes to the fact uh, that public education has really been failing uh, Mm. so many of our children. And so many parents became aware of the deficiencies of public education. And so many parents became aware, just aware of of what was being taught in the schools or not being taught in Mm. the schools. So I I think parents have become more creative. Uh, Teachers have become more creative. Uh, allowing different options uh, to achieve a a better overall outcome for all of us. So now we have more parents being interested in in homeschooling. We have uh, parents who are getting together and forming uh, homeschool kind of co-ops, if if you were, you know, Getting together in groups and giving some uh, semblance of a, a social aspect to what was, you know, formally maybe considered an isolated homeschool approach, mm-hmm. where you know you're you're taking children out of the social setting, uh, right? And but so that's a different approach, and and then charter schools are another great option. Uh, Because so many of our children that are really, really lagging behind uh, are the children who really need the different approaches because the public schools in their areas are among the worst right? uh, and certainly not giving them what they need and their parents really would love to have other options, but they're not given other options. Because they don't have the money for the private school, they don't, you know, they don't have the money for the tutoring. But uh, if they want their child to get an education, the child has to go to that local public school, which, in many, many cases, is is not performing adequately at all, and they have no option. So I have some personal experience with a um, a kind of charter school that was my children were allowed to participate in it at the time it was kind of an experimental program. Uh, they were called magnet schools mm. and, uh, in the particular school district in which I ha- was living at the time, uh, it was within the public school system, but it was a kind of a charter school because they were schools focused on different themes and, uh, they also had additional resources that the, uh, that the public schools didn't have. And my children flourished with that. One of my children went to a school that uh, had arts and music training incorporated into the general commission, mm-hmm. uh, curriculum. Uh, and then he went on to go to a high school that was a smaller cooperative learning high school where he flourished and and did very well. So one of my children went on to a very competitive, specialized, elite high school. The other went to a small uh, co-op kind of school. uh, And they both flourished and did well and they, they were you know it was out of the norm of the traditional public education while still actually being in it and i think mm-hmm. some of that could be done as well i think i think we could do a lot more with our vocational education in the public schools
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh and there how, so how many when was kids. this when
0: your kids were in high school how what, what time uh, well
1: um What the magnet school program was uh, in the Mm eighties and uh, and the high school, that high school program was in uh, the Uh, nineties. And some of that is still uh, being carried on because there are um, some. Private individuals give money to these types of programs like the Gates Foundation, uh, and, you know, they, they do give some money toward the public educational system, in, you know, in, in various small ways. But I, I think it has to be developed on a, on a larger scale because mm. we don't do very much with the vocational education at all here in the States. And um, I think a lot of kids would, would really flourish with that. And, you know, I don't think every kid needs to go to college.
0: Right. I absolutely agree. I always think of my friend from high school, Vince, who, you know, and I don't know how happy he is. I That's another question. But, you know, he was working for his father's landscaping business since he was young. And right after high school, he, you know, he was already a business owner. <laughs> and uh, he just kept doing that. He's doing great. He's been making a lot of money for a long time. I mean, that's, that's one way to define success.
1: Uh, uh, success is if you are... Uh, happy at what you're doing and you're you're pursuing your passions I I I really believe parents need to do that with their kids let them pursue their passions let them try things and maybe they'll succeed maybe they'll fail but we also learn from our failures so that's not a loss either because sometimes we learn a lot more from our failures than we do from our successes and uh, you know that we can incorporate in our education as well.
0: No, I love that. And I was thinking about that as you were describing um, your children's experience in high school. It's like, you know, well, they did X or Y. And you know what? If they didn't like that, but, you know, by the next year, they can switch. And so it's a little more active, but maybe that's what we need in in children's education is a more active experience, a more, I'll use the word dangerous. You know what I mean? Like a little more, um Unpredictable, or just breaking out that cookie cutter mold and sprinkling the remnants of the cookie cutter—you know what I mean—and yes. and making it making it accessible to all different types of people is, I think, what we're talking about.
1: Well, see, so you know, we have the, the the helicopter parent who you know hovers around the child and is so afraid uh, uh, of them getting hurt and not, not doing well and you know you know then you have the trophy for everybody's kind of syndrome which is really really not a great idea either because, i'm with you 100 you know, i mean we're not all star football players right we're not Thank all you, you know yes. great basketball icons. and, and but
0: understanding that is a really important life lesson
1: yes and it Better learn young than right. than learn right. much. And by the later way, you
0: know, trophies are reserved. There's nothing wrong with saying, "Hey, look, I was thinking about this last night because a friend of mine who's a really successful fitness life coach. She's a bit older than me. He's an amazing guy, really successful in the industry. And his whole thing is about like take extreme ownership of your life, and it kind of lends itself to libertarian political views of like, hey, you're in control of everything. Everything is 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 for you to decide what to do with it. And I was thinking. And he he made a comment how participation trophies are, are not very good. And I was thinking, you know, participating in the competition is as good or better than any participation trophy, you know, that's, that's, that's the fun. And you get a trophy for placing for one, two, or three for being excellent. But, you know, this idea that we have to give you an award, no, participating was the award and and the extra award is for if you do great and there's nothing wrong with having concepts of greatness, mediocrity and and not so good. It's painful, right? But it's reality, isn't it?
1: It is and if we it's kind of, you know, we don't want to set up that false expectation either. If you're constantly being rewarded for just participating, then you're always going to have that expectation that you have to be the top in everything. And we're not going to be the top in everything. So, uh, you know, I think we have to learn at at a younger age that we all have strengths and weaknesses and we're good at some things. We're not so good at other things. And I I really think it's important for parents uh, to admit to their children that they're not always up there on that pedestal that you know they have they yeah. have faults as well so you know it's I think the best kind of parenting is a a parent who tries to be more of a mentor who tries to listen uh, as well as talk uh who who really builds a a relationship of respect and trust with their kids Uh, more than this kind of, you know, well, I'm the parent, you do what I say, just because it's Mm. what I say. And that's what you need to do. Um, You know, I, I think that's uh, very important as well. Mm. And the way, no parents can do a lot to help kids in some of the deficiencies that we see in that educational system. Because the the other thing about the the cookie-cutter approach uh, um, is that in our educational system, we're telling the kids what they have to learn in order to achieve this, quote, performance standard, but we're not teaching them how to think. The process of thinking, how we get the information, you know, uh, the, not the facts, but the whole process of thinking as to how we arrive at the facts, critical thinking. And mm-hmm. there's so much of that in history. I mean, you're in right. law, so there, there's so much of that in law as well. Yeah. Uh, but it's the who, the what, the when, the where, the why. But it's putting all of this information together to develop a real understanding of the whole process, not of, of the individual. Not process.
0: just any one point, information point.
1: And that's what's done at schools, you know. So in has it changed? School,
0: yeah. Has you it know, changed teaching much
1: for the regions? Has it changed? It- because well- because
0: when I, I'm 33 and I, I went to public school and um, look, it was OK. I mean, and, and, and let me also say before we go on that, you know, just because you're not good at something, you know, for a kid, obviously hard work is what can make you good at it. You can get good at something. The Kobe men, Kobe Bryant Mamba mentality, you know, go after it. If you, you're you not happy just uh, participating, you want that trophy, well, put the work in and you you might well get that trophy. And um, so so I wanted to say that. But, you know, when I was in public school, uh, I had an okay education. I put my hand on my heart, set the Pledge of Allegiance, and I came out of it, you know, kind of a generally pro-America, freedom so I think it you know I feel decent about how I turned out at the end of it I wonder are kids not getting as good of an education as I got I know Connor and we'll get to him later but I know Connor says it's really devolved do you think it's it's continually devolved
1: yes uh, I think it's gotten worse and worse uh, we have so many forces <sighs> From outside, non-academic forces in our educational system that are competing, you've got the teachers unions, you've got politics, you've got the layers of government uh, with their funding, the federal, the state, you've got uh, the competition for grant writing, uh, getting grants, and with the With the grants come all kinds of strings attached to that, uh, depending on where that grant is coming from. And you have a system that is, there's just so much from the outside. You have the school boards, uh, which have become very political. You've got the corporate interests that in many cases are funding Uh, the either the teachers unions or funding the local politicians that help allocate the money toward the school programs and the grants. And all of these things have kind of competing interests. uh, All kind of pulling, you know, at the same pot. Uh, Then you have teachers and I don't, blame the teachers totally for this, but the, the the teachers are not spending a majority of their time teaching because with this common core system, you, you are driven by data. So they are constantly being bombarded to record all the data. Mm. Uh, then you have the teachers unions in large cities, particularly, but sometimes in smaller cities. But I've worked uh, for a long time. I've worked in both private and public. But when I was in the public schools, I was working mostly in the New York City system. You have all kinds of political forces there. Uh, so the you have money being given to the teachers unions to do X y and z now the teachers of course uh, are being told by the administrators what the curriculum is going to be that's another big problem because the administration has ballooned in recent years there are school districts now where there are a lot more administrators than there are teachers
2: hmm. yeah, and that doesn't doesn't
1: that, right that certainly doesn't work now again You have all this data and all of these programs that the school is trying to implement. So you have the testing. That's one thing. So you have the math testing. You have the science testing. You have the uh, language testing. Uh, How much time does that leave for uh, other traditional subjects like history, geography? And then you have the, quote, the social emotional package that has to be taught. Now, most school systems are mandated by this funding and grant money somewhere, either from the federal government or from the state government. You must teach social emotional skills. So how do, feel,
0: how do you feel about that particular?
1: I think it should be minimal. I think certainly there are social emotional programs that need to be taught. Uh, t- in teaching children uh, about bullying and you know uh, respect and having empathy for mm-hmm. other children and uh, teaching them basic skills as to how to communicate, teaching them that we are we all come from a common place when we enter school. It doesn't matter race, religion, ethnic culture. All of that is fine, but telling children that they must do this or that they belong to a certain class or non-class, that they're you know, they're better than one mm-hmm. another, you know, this all doesn't belong in the schools. So the teachers now they have these administrators telling them this is the curriculum, this is the way you teach it. Teachers aren't given much leeway in the way they want to teach today. They're not given much leeway in the sense that they need to tailor their teaching differently because some kids learn in different ways than other kids do. Well, that's not acceptable anymore. You will teach the program and you will teach it this way. And if Mm -hmm. you don't teach it this way, you're not getting tenure. If you don't keep your data and you, you don't have everything down to the P's and Q's, you're not doing your job. And so how much does all of this take? It takes an inordinate amount of time. And then another thing that leads me to another thing, which is one of my pet gripes. Pulling teachers out of the classroom for staff training. I got pulled out of the classroom. I can't tell you how many times when I was uh, Not I was also an administrator, but in the times that I was teaching, how many times I got pulled out for a teacher training program for some ridiculous thing that they threw out a couple of months later. And who was teaching the child? Well, a substitute teacher was in there for that period, teaching the child. And then they complain. Well, the children don't do well on the test. Well, the teachers are out of the classroom half the time being pulled in, you know, 20 different directions. Mm. So these are, you know, it's just become a mess. Um, you, You can't individualized learning when you've got all of these forces telling you well this is the way you you've got to do it.
0: Yeah, interesting. And and it's clear. I appreciate the way you've explained all that. It, so, I had Connor Boyack on recently and we spoke before we hit record. I I had him on last week as well. I don't know if you had I don't know if you heard that, but Yeah, um, that's that's okay. the one I think I gotcha. did here, yeah. Gotcha. And so we talked about you guys have very similar um subject matter you know you guys are really focusing on very similar things education my question to you is do you agree with connor when he told me it's like an 80 20 thing in terms of the methodology of instruction being the problem versus the culture war issues and i'm going to try to elicit some of your personal political views from this response but i'm basically wondering do you do you think that the culture war stuff the critical race theory has made its way into children's classrooms. Uh, how do you feel? If if yes, how do you feel about that? What are your thoughts about uh, the culture war stuff?
1: Well, it's definitely made its way into children's classrooms. Uh, not to the degree that it is today. When I was still teaching, it was it was working its way into that. Uh, it's gotten worse and worse. I th- because uh, I think the effort to control and to unify everything has just increased exponentially. Uh, it you know it started on the higher level with the colleges and then kind of seeped into the high schools, and uh, now it's you know it's all the way down to kindergarten.
0: Uh-huh. I believe I believe that. Yeah, I believe that. And that makes me kind of this ugly figure in, in the progressive class, you know, in the law school classes that I took recently talking about critical race theory. I, I found myself kind of associating with the Ted Cruz type of viewpoint, the Christopher Rufo. I just I saw enough examples in the media of, of it being in, in kindergarten and now I don't know how widespread, but I, I believe it's there.
1: It's here, it's it's in uh, you know, I'm in a fairly rural area and I could see pieces of it in my local school district, which is a small school district. Uh, I mean, you know, we're talking like 1100 students, everything from K to 12, right? Uh, and uh there are pieces of it there. and you know, I could I can kind of see
0: and how do you feel about it because i i look who is not for greater social awareness of inequality right who is not for civil rights these days i mean look they they exist but,
1: but very very few people yeah
0: but what is it about this stuff making its way into the children's classrooms that people find bothersome
1: Well, I think it's this this same kind of mindset that we all need to follow the same path. Uh, it's it's everything is becoming more and more centralized. You know, it's more and more control. Uh, and if you if you don't want to follow this overall kind of panorama, uh, you are just not fitting in. And with social media, the same thing. It's, you know, our children today, I, I, the pace of communication has just accelerated at it, it, such a pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's exponential that I don't know how kids today are, are going to cope. I'm, this is why we have so many mental health problems. I mean, with right. social media, they're on social media and children have enough problems growing, maturing, changing, trying to figure out how they fit in without this social media exacerbating the process. Mm. And it's just kind of like a catch-22 because they go on social media, uh, they see what their friends are saying and okay they want to fit in with their friends so they agree with their friends and then with the algorithms of social media that keeps getting reinforced 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 so they see more and more but only from this one group Mm -hmm. they're not being exposed to the other side and I think we have more and more of, of social media it's bringing the world together they will say and the world is shrinking it's getting right. smaller we can all be connected but are we really connected
2: mm-hmm.
1: we're not really connected i mean the you have somebody over to dinner and they're sitting at the table on their on phone, the phone right. are they communicating with you right. What and what are we teaching kids and and kids spend all of their time, uh, either on their phone or on social media, if they're not in, in, sitting in class, that's probably what they're doing the majority of the time. So, are we becoming closer? I mean, we're or just we hardened,
0: may, reinforced in our echo we chambers. We may,
1: we may know a lot more information, mm. but are we assimilating that information uh, again? The critical thinking: Are we thinking about it? Or are we just gathering all of this information and it's all out there in the ethosphere? And, you know, what good is all of this information if we don't know how to put it together to make a better use of it? I.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's got to, so, so let me ask you then, what is the goal of education then? What, and, and this is going to lead me to ask you a little bit about your politics. Um, and you don't have to share if you don't want to. But thinking about the political landscape today, primarily focusing on, on education, which is always relevant. I mean, you know, what we're experiencing politically is always going to make its way down to the kids. So it's all really one big issue. But what do you what do you think is, you know. Give me your thoughts on politics and, and just big picture, uh, you know, socialism versus classic American liberalism. And uh, where does this all fit in for you?
1: Well, I would have to say just philosophically. Having evolved through education, I started out in a private school teaching huge numbers of children in a classroom my very first class had 56 students in it 56 mm. students at a lot the of same students time. and i started teaching very young because i accelerated went through school quickly graduated college in three years and so on i started teaching at age 20 and my stu- I, I started my very first class was a fifth grade class and the students were I was like 10 years older than some of the students right <laughs> uh, and it was uh, I, I was probably more afraid of them than they were <laughs> of me but they didn't know that and I didn't let on but it, you know but I was able to reach them because, you know, I was given a lot more leeway as to how I was teaching. All right, there was a curriculum, but I could adjust the curriculum to the needs of the kids. I couldn't do that in today's education. I see. No, I I would be told, you know, this this is it. This is the way you teach it and you can't deviate. Oh, this is whole. this is a whole language program. You can't dare teach the children phonics and some kids we'll learn to read that way, you know, Mm. I mean, so it's, it's problem that the whole thing is problem. So as far as the control aspect, I guess you would kind of equate that to the socialistic kind of idea, right? Where the you have the central government, uh, which has, in my mind, have become more and more autocratic, you know, and mm-hmm. taken control over right. more and more programs. Uh, I think we have to return to more individualism and more. If you want to equate capitalism to free enterprise, I kind of see kids in school needing more of an opportunity to be free agents mm-hmm. gotcha. learning the way they learn best. We all want to reach the same outcome. We want them to learn to become uh, independent, critically thinking, uh, open-minded, respectful.
0: Generally successful, productive members of society.
1: And good citizens. Because citizenship is certainly not taught in schools today.
0: Barbara, Barbara, (laughs) can we pause? Can I pause? Because we're running out of time. What I'd like to do, if it's okay with you, is pause, can we exit the Zoom and then come back in so we get another 40 minutes? We don't have to use it all, but I don't wanna rush you. So would you mind doing that? Okay. Okay, sorry about that. Do You remember where
1: you were? Uh, Yeah, so we were saying that I think uh, kind of an analogy with the system, we need more of a independent, capitalized, capitalistic kind of system as opposed to the socialist kind of group think uh as an approach as a good approach to education so politically i i would classify myself as pretty much an independent Mm -hmm. um i uh i would personally love to do away with the department of education altogether
0: so so you've been following vivek's uh uh, vivek ramaswamy's uh, calls to do that
1: Oh, uh, yeah. I've heard that, you know, he isn't the only one who has proposed doing that. I mean, recently, of course, yeah. he's the only one who's proposed doing it. But I think it, education should really go back to the states. And I think that the states could develop uh, a a better kind of set of alternatives, uh, you know, some States have already moved toward doing this. Unfortunately, I don't live in one of them. (laughs) But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, being open, more of an approach that allows the money to follow the child rather than everything gets dumped into the public school system and this is what you get. Mm -hmm. So if we had an approach where the taxpayer money uh, would uh, not necessarily all automatically have to go into that public school system, but could be uh, applied to a charter school, could be uh, applied to uh, some kind of homeschool, or uh, a, a portion of the money could be given to parents if they wanted to uh, find some kind of private school setting that you know, would better suit their child. Um, We're spending an inordinate amount of money on uh, educational systems that
2: Mm -hmm. are not working. Great outcomes,
0: right.
1: Mm. You know, obviously, if if kids, they can't even meet this kind of arbitrary standard, which just the testing, you know, we didn't talk about the testing, but that's another thing. the well, testing, go ahead. Give me a
0: minute or two on that.
1: Well, the testing is uh, sometimes driven by politics because a lot of the contracts for the, the testing materials go to... Corporations that are friends of the politicians who happen to be in control, uh, they get the money to, to write the testing programs. And um, mm-hmm. again, we wouldn't even need all of these testing programs if we went back to, you know, I, I go way back to when I was uh, in elementary school. I I went to a private school, a parochial school, and they had their, their own testing standards, which were much higher. hmm than that of the public school we had to score 10 points higher than the public school students to pass the test hmm. and you pushed yourself you know i mean you 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 had to push yourself harder so i don't think there's anything wrong with competition in the schools as long as the schools offer you know these different approaches uh, that are that are going to benefit what what the child needs and how the child can best succeed mm-hmm. yeah. with those different approaches.
0: Right. So, you have a book series, is that right?
1: Well, what I'm doing now is uh, well, that's one of the things I do. I um, my started out as my main focus, trying to get. Kids interested in history because again it's sorely neglected in school. Really, not taught much at all, in, uh, in uh, on the elementary school level, and then on the high school level, it's taught in terms of facts—the facts that you need to know mm-hmm. to pass a one-year course in American history or a one-year course in world history which is you know a real joke to try to teach the mm-hmm. whole history of the world right. <laughs> in one year might as well just be
0: geography <laughs> look this is where all the stuff is
1: <laughs> and okay really here we go and so kids say why do i want to know this bunch of facts you know what good is it? that's why they don't like history what good is this going to do me and i think mm-hmm. it's it's very telling that most people do not become interested in history until they are well out of school. Hmm. Uh, And then things start clicking. And gee, I wondered about that. And they start reading on their own. Mm -hmm. And now they have some experience from living and working in the real world. They've had to learn some critical thinking which they probably weren't taught in school but they weren't they learned along picked the way it up, yeah. and it becomes interesting to them and she yeah. you know and I, there were so many
0: parents... how did we get here how did we it's the stage right and i'll and just what... say I'll, let me interject real quick and then i really want i, I want to hear about you know, I know you're getting to talking about your books, but when I, and I studied history, political science, uh, joint major in, in undergrad, and how I arrived at that was I was at a diner in my local town. You know, I wasn't sure what to study. And I saw this lady at the diner and she was this crazy looking older woman with, you know, crazy hair and looked like she had a thousand cats. But we started talking and she's a 40 year college professor. And uh, we we had a great conversation and I literally had the curriculums all printed out you know, A to Z, what, what the things. And she goes, look, if you're interested in things generally, which is what I told her, she'll study history. And so I boom, there's history, political science. Okay, but cool. I remember taking geography in fourth grade and, and really liking it. And that was about all I remember. And then when I got to college, what got to Rutgers, man, I loved the history classes and the political science, but I absolutely loved it. And my grandma would say to me, what are you going to do? Open a history store? so you know you know like the old joke it's like well, what are you they're gonna become a teacher or a lawyer which i eventually went to law school and just graduated but yeah I, all i can tell you is that i found history in college absolutely fascinating but please but it's, go,
1: yeah it's go back. the who the what the when the where the why it's putting that all together that's the critical thinking piece mm. and in in elementary school we didn't really learn that piece of it. We learned the basic information. We learned the who, maybe we'll the what, the when, certainly mm-hmm. develop the timeline. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the why and and the process of thinking behind that, we...
0: And the why becomes value-based, doesn't it? And so at a certain point, yes. you know, you have to have an opinion on like, hey, this was either good or bad for human civilization. And it's controversial, uh, I guess.
1: Yes. And and that's another thing. Do kids know the difference between facts and opinions? Mm. Not so much today. I mean, I think we did when we were growing up because news and information was presented to us mostly on a factual basis. We were given the facts. Now, how is news presented to us? we we are exposed to a panel of quote experts who most of the time present news by giving their opinions on the news right and that's another thing so when we tune mm-hmm. into media today and get the quote news we're not really just getting the news very often, Not depending on the media that we choose to ch- to tune into, right, we're getting one side of that. Again, that's mm-hmm. reinforced, 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 reinforced. And eventually, you don't know what the other side is.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess to bring that back to children's education is, look... I guess you would have to present all possible whys and say, hey, look, white settlers <laughs> took over this country and a lot of people say it was a good thing, big picture. Now, obviously, it wasn't so good from the perspective of the Native Americans. So I guess you have to include it all there and say, this is what happened. Why? Why did it happen? Well, a combination of greed, ambition, desire, freedom. Power. Power. It's ugly. It's ugly. But it's real. And it's
1: real, definitely. Yeah. And the, sla- the same thing. There were black plantation owners sure. who employed slaves. There mm-hmm. are tribal lords in Africa who enslaved their own people. Absolutely. And sold them to the quote, white settlers. Right. So it's not, it's, it's never one-sided right right always the opposite viewpoint and i don't you know i really don't think our kids are being exposed to that and we're being again it's another means of dividing us whether it's political or not political we are all being channeled into these narrow Mm -hmm. groups and eventually
0: something's gonna break
1: we're we're not going to be able to come together if we no. Keep I I think that's a really further apart.
0: I think that's a really profound point. It's not only the social media algorithms which are driving us into our camps and hardening us. It's the you know the critical race theory stuff, the identity politics stuff as well. Combine those together, and you really have a tough time finding common ground. People like you and me probably think there is a lot of common ground, but um, these forces are at play you know, that, that seems to be making it difficult to see it.
1: That's kind of my mission. So part of my mission is I want to make history learning fun for kids because I don't want them to see it as a set of facts, dry information. I want them to learn how to think critically. So I, I, when I present the history to them and my books are picture books, so, oh, my thank illustra- goodness! Yeah, my illustrator is uh, my husband. So, fortunately for me, mm. he's been an artist, been drawing since the age of five, wow. and he has done work with children's books many years ago. He he does his own cartoons. So he developed mm. a cartoon character to narrate for me, and the cartoon character is based on a younger version of me. So mm. she's an optimistic. <laughs> person who loves to travel she wears rose colored glasses loves to see mm. the bright side of things but she is very grounded and she sees the negative as well as the positive positive. Mm-hmm. and she's a funny character with exaggerated features but I want kids to see something of themselves in her So she's very much a critical thinker, very much open to seeing both sides of everything. So I try to present information that a lot of people don't know. So I'll always include things in my books about people like Native Americans who've been forgotten or ignored, whether in the Mount Rushmore book I'm talking about. Crazy Horse Memorial Mm. and how the land was taken from them originally, how we reneged on our promise and what the Native Americans are doing now, what's happening in the UN with Native American rights. Mm. And in my books, I don't just talk about history. I bring in a lot of different disciplines so that kids can become immersed. Everything in the world has a history. So I can approach almost any subject and find history in it. Sure. So I have a book about archeology. span I have the La Brea Tar Pits and we talk about the scientists who were working right there at La Brea examining fossils. I have a book on the North Pole, which is international in focus. So in that book, we talk about the legend of Santa Claus. We talk about Hmm. uh, a lot of of, uh, science. We talk about the weather, the climate, We talk about the eight nations that live in the uh, Arctic area and uh, their flags and how they compete with each other and why they're there. So we have, you know, we have literature, we have science, we have geography, we have uh, so many different things in one book. And I always ask the children questions. I ask them what they think. And sometimes I ask them if they can come up with better solutions. Mm hmm so that's the book series priming and, them to, uh,
0: to be the next innovator and to
1: do that critical thinking mm-hmm. and then um uh, i well, what's the title both, of the book series uh little miss history tr- Basically, it's Little Miss History Travels 2, and then Mm. it's whatever place we're going to. So whether it's Mount Rushmore, something very familiar like the Statue of Liberty. But then sometimes we go to places like the North Pole. Most of the time I go to the places with my husband and we take actual photographs. So the books are multimedia. So they include actual photographs hmm. of the place uh, they include portraits because so there were some portraits of the people that we talk about. Uh, they right. include um, all different kinds of media with within uh, within. So I have Little Miss History in there, uh, the portraits, the actual photography, uh, wow. it, there could be geology and science or, or charts or diagrams showing wow. them how the redwood trees are growing and the sequoia trees are growing. It could be almost any type of multimedia. And then during COVID, when I couldn't get out and, uh, meet in person with, with kids, I started doing more teaching videos. So I, I have teaching videos to I call it two minute teacher and they're short videos on all different subjects things like what's the difference between fact and opinion or how right. how you can how you can write an essay to you see a problem in your community uh how would you write to somebody to to talk about what you could do to change that you Now, all different kinds of things like that I collect information for parents and teachers. So I collect resources on on uh, my Pinterest board. I develop different suggestions for curriculum. I do book reviews. So I on my website, I have a whole kind of collection uh, of resources that I think might help move education and critical
0: Amazing. Yeah, I accidentally hit stop there. That's amazing. You are doing your level best to make a difference, aren't you?
1: Uh, That's what I'm trying to do. And, you know, my character has this little saying if you don't know your history, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, And uh, that's basically my philosophy with kids. They should all realize uh, that they are characters in history, that Mm. you can't understand how we got to where we are today and then being able to use what we learned, whether it was good or bad, to help us to live better today and then hopefully to develop some kind of framework to leave uh, a legacy for doing things better in the future. So I see history as a has an evolutionary process, you know, not not so much revolutionary, uh, but a continuous process uh, of learning and growing, mm-hmm. and then uh, eventually changing for the mm. better, hopefully. For right, the better.
0: feeding feeding um, human beings with the not just the information, but the tools. All right. This is, I think, the big takeaway, the information and the tools to to become better versions of themselves.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And in doing that, we can hopefully have respect, empathy, compassion and understanding to build a better global society, a better local community, a better country and uh, hopefully a, a better better
0: world for all of us Hmm. yeah it's 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 an interesting thought because especially with MAGA and there's a lot of logic to this it seems like there are so many problems in the world you just almost are better off focusing on what you can focus on locally and there's a temptation to do that but what do you think uh you know should America have a role in in the world stage um, what what are your thoughts on global improvement? You know, you mentioned it. Is there is there a role uh, America can play in bringing these kind of skills to the rest of the world? Should we?
1: Well, I I think we have to start with things on a on a more local level. Um, so what where does history begin with children? It begins in the family, right? So kids first want to know who they are and where they came from and, and mm-hmm. why they do the things they do. Why do they dress the way they do? Why do they practice the religion that they practice? Why do they eat the foods they eat? That's the first you know, example of culture and local community. And then as they get older, they learn to explore uh, the community of people around them. And they meet different people with different ideas, different customs, different cultures, different traditions. And they kind of learn how to uh, incorporate what they know with what they're experiencing. And then maybe they have some give and take some give and take from their culture, some give and take from people that they meet outside in their community. Uh, and then, of course, that's transported on on a higher level to eventually a uh, country in the world. But I think we have to s- start small before we can um, mm-hmm. first change things it. first. And the other thing is, we are really the only country that has a constitution and a uh, a government that is so geared toward, hopefully, ideally, the rights of everyone in in the community. And mm-hmm. um, we I think we need to, spread that message uh to other people hopefully are hopefully we will be able to continue doing it because right now um the respect i don't think we're respecting everybody certainly by dividing ourselves Mm -hmm. into such uh distant groups Mm -hmm. Uh, we're certainly not building empathy and compassion and (laughs) respect uh, mm-hmm. For each other. Uh, and I see that as a real danger. So if we can't stop that in our own country, uh, you know, I don't think there's much hope of improving things mm-hmm. in the world. Uh, the world sense. is, I mean, the world, again, on paper, they're trying to become this kind of, you know, global entity the european union all working together but how well is that working
2: Uh,
0: right
1: they're very often fighting among themselves too so um yeah it's a a
0: fascinating uh concept you know globalism it's just a really interesting thing i I don't know i mean who who knows but uh, it sure seems like local control is is kind of important but also, of course, working together is also important. So, hopefully, it's all just going to work out. And through people like yourself, inspiring young people, hopefully, uh, we are on the right track. Do you, you know, do you have some hope that this country can can get it together? What's your hope levels at?
1: I hope we can. I think we can. I think we have to turn it around in the near future Mm -hmm. Uh, because if we just keep going on the trajectory we're on right now, uh, things are not looking good.
0: Uh, Right. There's a lot of conflict in the world. It's a, it feels like a very tense time. And if our house is not in order that, that only adds to the danger that we could, you know, collapse or or whatever. Like, I don't want to be a, a scare tactic person. I don't know. Is this a really crazy time in America, or does it just feel that way?
1: I think it is because, I mean, I I grew up uh, with the Cold War and uh, Soviet Russia. Uh, I I even had I had an opportunity to travel to Soviet Russia, uh, go behind the Iron Curtain when they first opened it up to tourism wow. to the West. And that was a very eye-opening experience. Uh, in what way? I I saw, you know, it was very scary in the sense of uh, people living in a society where they had so little. And yet they did have a, f- a form of optimism. Uh, I, I, They did have respect and empathy for each other, even though the government didn't treat them with respect. Hmm. Uh, I found it interesting that they admired teachers. uh, They just held teachers in um, a... it's such high esteem when they heard, oh, you're a teacher. And I, I didn't have a lot of freedom because we were very closely watched. We, we had to stay in hotels that were only for tourists uh, and you couldn't go anywhere by yourself. And if you went out at night, they took your key and you came back and then mm. you went in your room. Uh, right. It was very you were warned. Do not trade. Do not, you know. You'll be thrown in jail for six months if you try to sell anything. And mm. I, it was scary, but it was it was a whole different way of living because we were so free and we were so open and and our again, we were a lot more open minded than than we are now. Now everything is there's a lot more control Mm-hmm. Over our everyday lives than there was then, but
2: um, yeah, it
1: it you know it was very scary uh, for sure. I mean I went through checkpoint Charlie and they kept us there for two hours because they knew we were Americans on this tour and they kept us there just long enough that we would make the plane. But you know so so we started. Uh, wow. singing like american songs and annoying oh man yeah that must have been very
0: <laughs> annoying yes that didn't probably do you any favors
1: no but. it probably didn't but <laughs> no we had some characters on that tour with us wow. but well you're yeah. one of them
0: and and, and 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 you made and all these years later you know you're still on this mission would you say your mission has not changed it's just you know some of the tactics you've used have developed and evolved have you always in other words do you feel like you've consistently been on the same mission for most of your life
1: uh i've been on the same mission but it has veered in different directions so you know at one point of my life i was all into the history and another point of my life i was uh for a long time i was teaching children in that general population and then i veered off and i became an administrator in special education and working with those children which took me in a totally different direction again uh, working with so many different types of education to meet children's needs Mm -hmm. and then I kind of came all back again to trying to take all of those experiences and meld them. So it's it's taken it's kind of like a process of assimilation that all of these things were going on. And I probably saw them as different pieces in my life mm-hmm. uh, and and focused on different things at different times. And now I'm kind of seeing the whole picture. Right. Uh, now that I'm older and and I've experienced all of these things, I'm kind of seeing how, um,
0: they fit together and you're building your I, own puzzle.
1: Yeah. How they is... fit together. And I'm kind of, now I'm, I'm kind of focusing on the things that weren't working and seeing if there's a way, uh, to take them out and to kind of put this whole thing back together and make it work.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so now you're in the fixing it. Now, <laughs> I'm now kind that... of
1: the fixer right now. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, kudos to you. I mean, I'm just, I'm impressed. I'm grateful as an American citizen. I, I mean, I think I should be grateful for what you're doing. Um, how great is that and how great is it that you can do that in this country? It's a, uh, it's a pretty great thing. It's profound, you know, <laughs> You want to make a difference in people's lives and in the life of of the country and of the world. And it's one student at a time, one mind at a time. And I guess, you know, we're not going to sit here and say you have to be a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent or a Libertarian. But as long as you are empathetic and compassionate and caring, so on, so on, um, there's a good chance that... The world will become a better place. Is that is that fair?
1: Yeah, I, I think, and anybody can do that because I didn't come uh, from a privileged background by any means. Both of my parents uh, did not finish high school. Both of my parents mm-hmm. grew up in the Depression, mm-hmm. and uh, I came from a lower. Lower class family with no means, and I worked my way. I got to college by uh, purely by merit, you know, purely mm-hmm. uh, by working hard. I didn't have anyone to pay tuition for me. Of course, mm-hmm. when my kids grew up, of course, I had to make sure that that they got what they needed, and I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. But mm-hmm. you can make you can make that difference no matter what kind of background you come from if you have the passion the desire the persistence and the determination to do it Mm -hmm. you know you just have to stick to it and you try hard enough you're going you're going to succeed
0: Mm. great so last question when did you start the little miss history goes to series because it sounds like it was before the pandemic hit
1: yes oh i've been doing this for a while i started my first book in 2012 mm. so Very there are cool. 15 well the 15th book is being worked on right now
0: amazing so. about how does it about How about so about how long does it take you to do a book
1: it uh takes me well i go to the site most of the time i'm going to the site, i do trip for the research and then i Three to six months, Mm -hmm. uh, I would say on average, uh, depending on my husband's availability to do the illustration. So Mm -hmm. I do about 10 to 12 drafts of the book usually to get, because writing a children's book, you have to keep refining and and making it simpler, simpler, simpler. So there's a lot of editing Mm -hmm. and breaking it down. And then the illustration has to take place so then i take the script and uh the illustrations start out as thumbnails and then they develop into portraits that sometimes it has to be reworked because Mm -hmm. the artist's vision doesn't perfectly meld with the script we don't usually we don't usually kill each other but you know there are times when we disagree and we have to rework certain things Mm. so uh yeah. Generally from start to finish about three to six months. Wow.
0: It's just amazing. Uh, thank you for doing what you're doing. I I, I think you're making a big impact. And, uh, I think, you know, like you, as you spoke about legacy, I mean, this is going to continue to have an impact. It's so I hope, I hope you feel fulfilled from it. Um, I do. Good, 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 good. Great. Wow. So is there any parting thoughts that you want to leave me with as someone who's searching for political identity? Um, you know, I've always voted for Democrats. That's the house I grew up in. My dad's um, big into poor people and helping them. And, hey, tax the rich, man. Like, screw it. Like, do it. Um, it's a divisive time. We can agree on that. Any any parting advice for, you know, a person like myself trying to figure out where I belong and trying to find my voice?
1: I think to keep an open mind uh, and to always take as much do critical thinking basic take as much information as you can get from both sides and try to be objective keep an open mind try to keep the kind of opinion social media noise out and do an assessment of, of the facts and you know weigh the pros the cons and mm. make a decision uh that's pretty much what I All right so leave the salacious
0: So leave leave the salacious stuff to the side and try to enter a clear headed space where you're just, you know, don't overcomplicate it. You know, take in all the views that you can and be honest with yourself and consult your mind and your heart and go from there.
1: Uh, Yeah. And make an independent. decision. I mean, don't let other people influence you, which today, of course, is.
0: Yeah. And that was never really my problem, except for, I would say, my father and my, you know, the house I grew up in. You know, I, so that's what I'm realizing is like, oh, you know, a lot of the the reasons I think that I the way I do is because of my upbringing. So I, I just have to I'm wrestling with that and saying, hey, do I really believe in this? Obviously, I believe in the value of helping less fortunate people. But is the way to go about it that the Democrats propose propose necessarily the right way? It's it's very interesting. And this conversation about education that I've had with you and others now. Um, it's really eye opening to say, "Hey, look, man! Just because the Democrats are proposing this doesn't mean it's the right way to do it, and just because you disagree with the Democrats doesn't make you a evil conservative." So it's it's.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's you know it's really bad to have a mindset like that. Well, I've you know. Th- there I there's a certain group that's always going to vote that way you know they're just hard line and I've always done that well I didn't grow up in a house like that my my parents again they weren't very well educated but they did vote and mm. they always made an effort uh to get the facts from the news I mean, my father always listened to the news uh mm. My mother did as well. um, my father always read the newspapers. You know he would look at the facts and 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 come to a conclusion. They never really tried to influence me one way or the other
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and um good. I think that's good i i I think it's again you you have that kind of helicopter parent, well, mm-hmm. I'm the parent. I know you know, you better go vote, you know that right. kind of, I'm sure that happens. Sure. Uh, it shouldn't. If you want your your child to grow up to be a, yeah. a good citizen, an open-minded person with um, empathy and compassion for everyone, then you shouldn't be, you know, steering them to think sure. that.
0: And that certainly isn't what my parents did. And if anything, I wish my dad had kind of guided me a little more sometimes. Like, I wish he had made me play piano. No, he, he didn't do that. But his passion for helping the underprivileged certainly crept its way into my mindset and so I'm just trying to figure out hey you know who's got the best approach to do that and so that's kind of what my journey is so thank you Barbara it's been a really good conversation I really appreciate it I wish you continued success in your endeavors I will definitely post links to your stuff in the uh, show notes and uh it's just been a pleasure talking to you I
1: appreciate that I enjoyed our conversation as well
0: right